You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Well, we are commemorating the terrorist attacks of 9-11 today, September 11th, 2001. There's a new book out. It's called The Only Plane in the Sky, and it's an oral history of 9-11. And I have to say, it's unlike any book that's been written about that day. Garrett Graff is a journalist and author, and the author of that book. He joins us on the phone from New York City. Garrett, thank you so much for being with Carol and myself. Uh, thanks for having me today. So it is a remarkable book, and I have to say the voices come through so clearly, and it's so comprehensive, and it's been described as a you know a three hundred and sixty degree view. How do you even start to approach a project like this? Yeah, um, the, my goal with this book was you know we are now eighteen years removed from nine eleven itself. Um, and when we say never forget, what, we're, what we sort of boil that day down to are the facts of the day. You know, the idea of the uh, 3,000 Americans who died, the four planes, the four attacks, the, uh, the Twin Towers, the Pentagon in Shanksville. And what we're sort of losing is the human experience of that day. You know, what that day was actually like to live as Americans. And so the goal for this book was to pull, I uh, pulled together 480 voices of Americans coast to coast, morning to night, to try to remember just what that day was like to live in the voices right. of those who experienced it. Well, and it's visceral. I mean, what what you what you are able to what you've been able to produce. I mean, you and and I heard you talking about this earlier with our colleague David Weston. Is you know the smells and the and even the the taste of, of what was in the air, as well as the the harder to describe things like a, a true loss of innocence and 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 what we were uh, on that morning, who we were uh, before that all happened. Yeah, I mean, that loss of innocence really does come through when you sort of look back on that day, because we, um, you know, we sort of tell ourselves a much neater and cleaner story of what 9-11 was now that we know it as history. We know that it began at 8.46 in the morning with that first crash. We know that it wrapped up at 10.29 with the collapse of the second tower. That was not the way that we experienced that day. We did not know that the whole thing was was over and done within 102 minutes. And instead, you know, we felt that sort of confusion and fear and trauma and the chaos unfold throughout the day and ripple across the country far from just New York and Washington and Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And so one of the things that really sort of stood out in my mind was that incredible loss of innocence that you do see first thing in the morning. Um, you know, that first attack happens at 846. And most of America sort of looks at that and actually shrugs. Right. Um, and, and one of the things, you know, we believed it was an aviation accident. We believed the pilot had had a heart attack. We believed it was an air traffic control problem. I tell the story in the book of a New York ferry captain who, uh, you know, watches that first crash. New York Harbor comes around to Wall Street Terminal, drops off all of the commuters on his boat and everyone gets off the boat and walks in to work in lower Manhattan wow. that day, even as papers and envelopes are fluttering down from the twin towers as the North tower has been struck. Um, you know, just no one defaulted to terrorism at that point. 
now, of course, you know, you see last month the video of the motorcycle backfiring in Times Square Mm -hmm. and everyone runs for their lives. I mean, everyone sort of now defaults to assuming something is, is an attack even when, uh, you know, until it's proven otherwise. Garrett, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I was downtown at the New York Stock Exchange, and you're absolutely right. I was reporting on air for Bloomberg TV, and, and we're like, oh, there must have been, the expectation was it's a pilot, you know, pilot or plane just gone wrong. Uh, you know, nobody could imagine that terrorism of this magnitude could happen on U.S. soil. And it really did play out, you know, throughout the day in conversations. And we went from what could this be to realizing ultimately what happened and just being in shock as so many of us made our way from downtown New York because nothing was working. Everything was shut down in terms of transportation and phones and so on. Um, you know, to just constantly looking back downtown as we made our way uptown to kind of letting the reality sit in. But you're right. These voices are just remarkable uh, as everybody, you know, played out that day. And, you know, the sensory experiences of that day, um, Mm -hmm. as you guys were just talking about, you know, when you boil the da- this down to the facts, uh, you know, one of the things that just really stood out to me in the reporting of it were the, the, not just the sights, which is what we all experienced watching it on television across the country, but for those who lived it, the taste, the mm-hmm. sound, the smells of 9-11. I mean, what the, um, you know, the descriptions of the smell of the crash mm-hmm. of Flight 83 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, as those volunteer firefighters arrived on scene for the first time, the taste of the people of, in their mouths of the dust from the collapse of the Twin Towers. I mean, one of the firefighters in the book, he calls it like having wool socks in your mouth. Um, and then lots of people sort of spoke of the silence of that day, sort of right. the, the mm-hmm. profound quiet both in Washington and then also the incredible silence across the country as all of the planes were grounded coast to coast. Yeah, I will never forget the smell of smoke um, that lingered for a long time in downtown Manhattan. Um, it's just one of those things. Jason and I were talking earlier, Garrett, you know, you know, you have things in your life uh, when your children are born, just different days that just stay so vivid in your memory. And certainly for those of us, especially here in New York, this is a day that you're right. The sights, the senses, the smells um, are still very much with us. Well, and it's a tour de force of journalism for sure. Congratulations uh, on the book, Garrett. It's a really important work. Mm-hmm. And as you say, capturing that day as we get further and further, as you, as you said, you know, it's easy to sort of put it into sort of a neat little package, a tragic one. And yet it's so complicated uh, and you capture the humanity of it uh, so beautifully. The, the book is The Only Plane in the Sky, an oral history of 9-11. The author is Garrett Graff, journalist and author. I've got you under my skin. All right, so let's get a bit into the business of I've wellness. It's a booming one for sure. And Massage Envy is the company, but they're embarking on 
quite an expansion, it feels like, at least in terms of what they're offering. Joe Magnaca is the chief executive officer of Massage Envy. They're based out in Scottsdale, Arizona. He's here with us in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio today. So many questions to ask you, Joe, but what's the new thing uh, right now? Because you are... I should say, like you, you are very in touch with your customers. So what do they want? Well, I think, I mean, it's a great question. I think, you know, the evolution of this brand is pretty amazing. People know us for massage, but really our next act is, act is skincare. And mm. we've done an amazing job, I think, at transforming our business uh, with licensed estheticians across the entire network, across almost 1,200 locations, to be already to already have become the number one service provider of skincare services in the country. And we're just getting started. And that's the exciting part of, uh, of our journey. And we're really excited, uh, you know, today to to you know, kind of announce that we're going to enter the acne uh, segment as well, uh, making that formal introduction uh, tomorrow. But we're really excited about the fact that, you know, from a from a skincare perspective, we have really kind of changed the game. We've made skincare and facials affordable for the masses, right. just like we did for massage, uh, you know, in 2002. So it's an exciting time for us because we think there's an amazing white space here uh, to kind of push further on. Well, it's interesting, and I I'm not a member, but I have a sister who's a member, and and uh, she kind of gifted me a massage there, uh, and it was in outside Charleston, South Carolina. And I was surprised when I walked in and there were products. And I hadn't realized that you guys had moved into this space. It's a huge space. It's a high margin space. And I'm just thinking about you've already got folks coming in and this is a way to tack on services. It is. And I think one of the things that's magic about what we do is that it's a membership model. So the more services we can offer, the stickier our members uh, become. And is that what you're doing even with, with we, skincare? With skincare as well too. Yeah. So when you come in for a skincare service, we were, we were modestly in the business three and a half years ago when I joined. Um, I made dramatic changes in terms of our offering. So brands like PCA Skin and, and, and uh, Service Services like Microderm Infusion and, and Jane Marini and Obagi are now exclusive to us in our segment going forward. So brands that people generally would find in derm offices are now available to the masses at an affordable price. I mean, is it the goal to become kind of a spa? I'm thinking like a a la bliss or something? Well, I think I think uh, we look at it that way in, in one sense, but we also we also want to look at this as a wellness trend in the sense that, look, we want people to stop focusing on makeup and cosmetics and covering up their skin. We want healthy skin. So it's similar to what we've done in massage, where massage isn't pampering for us. You know, massage is therapeutic, okay? And if you kind of apply that same principle to what we currently are doing in skincare, we want to we want to ensure that people, you know, establish a skincare regimen from day one um, and, and do it with us, and we create right. that accessibility at a low cost. Things that they normally Normally couldn't afford. One of the big questions that I feel like we look at economically, almost macroeconomically, is where people will spend money, not just in good times, but when, you know, we will inevitably, even though it doesn't feel like it right now, we will hit a recession uh, at some point. How much do you worry about and what do you see in terms of that stickiness that you mentioned earlier when it comes to people essentially spending money to take care of themselves. So I think it's important to understand, we don't believe that our, service are, our services are discretionary. Right. Uh, in fact, when you look back at the last recession, 08, 09, 10, our business actually thrived. Wow. And that's, you know, think of it. Think of the stress that you're under during those mm-hmm. times. Uh, people that just naturally come to us, people who are maybe spending time in the category at a higher end spa, tend to, to trade to our model going forward because they still want the services, mm-hmm. but don't want to pay the high price or feel guilty paying the high price, even if they can't afford it. So um, we're not recession proof, but we're about as close to recession proof as you can get. And the membership model makes it extremely sticky. Well, that's what we're going to say. There's some stickiness too. Yes. If you've got a membership model, you've already either made the commitment, paid up for it, 
you're going to keep going. And if you can kind of ride through an economic downturn and you're still there, that's good for you. It's excellent for us. And I think, you know, people do understand they've made an investment, yeah. but they've also, they're also living the lifestyle that we want, which is a proactive health position. So whether it's skincare or whether it's massage, we think we're relatively uh, comfortable as it relates to recession. Only about 30 seconds left. Yeah. The next leg of growth, is it product? Is it geographical? How does it move? Um, well, certainly international is, is on our agenda, but probably not till 2021. Um, I, I would say, look, we think mental health is the next place mm. to go. We're, we're testing meditation right now in Texas. Uh, we're testing napping and sleep uh, as alternatives. And we're mm -hmm. testing light therapy. So there's lots of innovation coming at Massage Envy, and it will make the membership even even better. I'm going to squeeze in one more, 20 yeah. seconds. Are you hoping that ultimately medical plans kind of embrace this and there's you know a reimbursement for this kind of we services? We're working with the American Massage Therapy Association okay. right now for that exact thing. Other countries do support this from a, from a, a funding perspective, whether right. it's through government or insurance. Right. And we're hopeful the U.S. will get there at some right. point. Right. You've too. certainly seen it with acupuncture. So where Correct. else does it go right. from there? Yeah. Cool. Great stuff. Thank you so much for coming to visit us. And we look forward to catching up with you in the future. Joe Magnaca is Chief Executive Officer of Massage Envy based out in Scottsdale, Arizona, here with us in New York City today.